0: Hello and welcome back to the City CityWire Ratings Radar podcast. It's a brand new month and who knows where we're going after a very rocky ride at the end of February which saw global stock markets tumble sharply, mostly on inflation worries. Big question, is this the beginning of the end for the bull market as it approaches its first anniversary? Well, we're going to leave others to debate that and concentrate on what this podcast does best, which is looking at the top managers in key investment sectors. I'm Richard Lander, and as ever, we have my co-host, Angus Foote, and our top data people, Frank Talbot and Nisha Long. Frank is going to come along a little bit later uh, to talk about Europe x UK equities, but first up, we have Nisha, who's going to discuss something that every investor needs. No, not Bitcoin, but water, Uh, another new CityWire thematic sector. So, Nisha, tell us uh, what is happening here.
1: Yeah, so we're now on to the fourth new thematic sector that we're talking about in this podcast, um, which is equity water. Um, we all know we drink water, we use water in everyday life. Um, so it is very important to have you know investments in this sector. It's, it's a niche sector that plays an important part in two of the 17 sustainable development goals, um, which Concentrate on clean water and sanitation for all, and life below water. But then you can put that into di- biodiversity, poverty, etc. So it really comes into its um, for in, in an ES, uh, ESG standing. Um, so all of these goals are considered in many funds active. In the equity water sector, to some degree, and these funds have really come to the fore over the last year, as we know that ESG has also come, you know, centre stage. Um, so we've divided this sector, well, have it this niche sector, um, track 27 active managers um, globally. So it's quite small, but the investments that they focus on are quite focused on water, water development, sanitation, infrastructure, for example. Um, An interesting fact is that just less than one percent of the world water supply actually comes from drinking water and 70 percent is involved in agriculture. So you can see where some of this, you know, the investments may be going in this um, area. There's um, two managers I want to mention, um, first off, who are doing really well in this sector and they have been active in the environmental area for years, a number of years, maybe 10, 15 years. And the first one is A-rated Bruce Jenkins Jones and also Hubert Arts, who managed the BNP Paribas Aqua Fund. Um, So the fund consists of just 54 holdings. It's quite a niche sector and they hold Pennon Group, America Waterworks and George Fisher Aggie. And all these three companies you'll see in many you know, equity water funds, and also on the passive side as well, as the mainstay of these um, portfolios. The fund isn't small, it's $2.23 billion, and it does invest in um, companies with sustainable development, social responsibility, which is very much, you know, in the forefront, and environmental, as you'd expect, with water. Um, So, jenkins Jones very experienced manager he has been you probably know the fund that he manages impacts environmental markets which is in another sector that we've created equity ecology which does have some of you know the investments from this water fund um and now secondly another top performer another a rated manager is Andreas Fruschke again he manages the Alliance Global Water Fund but he has as a top holding America Waterworks so that's you know, comes up quite a lot. Um, what's interesting about um, Andreas is actually, they've put out quite a few stats, which I thought, you know, but they were mind-boggling on the site um, to do with, you know, how people use water. For example, if you're just having a salad for lunch, that salad probably took 40 litres of water to produce in that, just that one salad. And if you enjoy your beef, one kilogram of beef is 15,000 litres of water to produce. And one interesting fact is utilities. I mean, we talk about utilities all the time. You know, it's doing very well, but they lose up to $9.6 billion worth per annum in water leakage. So if the infrastructure is not right, you know, you're losing and wasting a lot of water, which has environmental impact just there as well. So you'll find that these managers are investing in infrastructure projects to reduce this kind of water wasted engaging with these companies to help that as well but also you know providing you know sanitation and water to emerging markets as well as the developing world etc and another interesting fact is developing world is losing a lot of water through bad infrastructure because they neglected it for a long time but the emerging markets you know they're developing good sanitation programs infrastructure pouring money into this kind of area and actually you know Having less water wastage,
2: as Nisha, can I ask, are these um, water funds generally are they all regarded as ESG friendly?
1: Um, not all of them. So you will have to look at you know what they're investing in. I think the social side is covered because they're trying to provide water, clean water, sanitation, you know, improving the infrastructure. But then you're looking at the environmental impact of. What is that infrastructure like? You know, how is it impacting villages? Do they put pipes all the way through your, you know, where you're living? So there are, you do need to look at, you know, the impact. It doesn't mean just because you're, in, you know, investing in water, you know, a basic need, um, that your fund will be investing in companies who are taking these criteria, you know, out there. Seriously. Are. Exactly. Well, yeah.
0: yeah, I was going to say the sector, you know, has everything from, you know, theoretically improving water supply to, to the, you know the the most affected parts of the world affected by uh, heat uh, salination whatever. But then you know there's also uh, privatized utilities in a number of countries, which have you know some serious ESG problems in in recent years in terms of of uh, first of all gearing up with massive borrowing and then paying dividends. Uh, some of these are private owners. It's true, so you can't invest in them, but. You know, it 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 doesn't. It sounds like a sector where you've got to tread very carefully. into What you invest in. It
2: would also be really interesting to get a sense of how similar those portfolios are, because in these quite, we've talked about this before. Remember the Danish wind farm company that cropped up in all the ESG uh, portfolios. Interesting in a in a world where you've got potentially quite a small universe of stocks, to see how similar those portfolios would be.
1: And the ones I mentioned actually, they do have the ESG criteria. So jenkin Jones and Frischke, um, their funds are managed on an ESG factor basis. So um, that's why I chose them on purpose. But um, you will find some of the other managers in the sector, you know, don't um, have in their strategy that you know they have some kind of sustainable focus in the strategy. So it is one to look out for. And I just want to quickly mention that there are other ways of um, accessing you know, water strategies through ETFs. But even there, you will need to look at the holdings. It's not, you know, simple, plain cut. You might have a small number of holdings to look at in the water sector. But um, just to give you an example of two, so the LNG Clean Water UCITS ETF has returned 31.5% over the past year to yesterday. And if you look at the iShares Global Water UCITS ETF, it's 18%. So there's, you know, almost double return in, you know, the first one I mentioned so again you really need to look at the holdings what does it hold it differs a lot and if you want ESG criteria or not you really you know need to do do your homework
0: do your homework yeah Angus where does in in the sort of pecking order of of thematics where does this sit with uh with your selectors is it you know, higher up than ECO, lower. Yeah,
2: it's a, really, it's a really interesting area. And I think this whole area of thematic investing is, is a very interesting and, and relevant one for the, the fund selector audience, certainly, because people have been talking about themes and the, everyone's looking at these major global themes to invest in and we're seeing thematic funds. But then, of course, you also have mainstream funds which play themes too. So there's a portfolio construction issue here. And one of the things that I've found interesting over the years, PICTAE have had a great deal of success with their theme funds and taken a lot of money into their um, various thematic strategies. And one of the reasons that they were so successful was that they really researched the views and the needs of potential clients, the fund selectors, before they launched those strategies. They were asking those kind of questions. How would a fund like this Fit into to your asset allocation. Which part of your portfolio w- would that money come from if you were to invest in it? And I think that stood them in very good stead when they then went back out to clients with real-life strategies. But I think that's a key question really for anyone doing fund selection or asset allocation.
0: Right. Are there uh, Nisha? Are there? Uh, you know, we talked a few, a few weeks ago about eco, the eco sector, the ecology sector. And, the, you know, there was the example of Plug Power, which had gone up, you know, to a ridiculous PE multiple, has uh, now fallen back quite a lot during this, the sell-off in February. Uh, are there companies like that in there or, they, uh, you know, that are sort of pioneering new technologies or is it, is it more established players, utilities and, and, and infrastructures? players?
1: Yeah. So from what I've seen, it's more the established players. It is the utility companies. As I mentioned, uh, America Waterworks, it seems to be one of the staples in the portfolios. Um, It's been around a long time. George Fisher as well has been around a long time. And as you've heard, you know, they're American companies, um, maybe about 50 to 60% of these portfolios are invested in the US um, and maybe 10-12% in the UK. So um, you can just see from there, you know, it is more of established players. And on the utility side, you know, if you're looking for a defensive portfolio, you'll find that in defensive portfolios. That these same companies will prop up, you know, in US equities as well. Um, so it's not very, as I said, mentioned before. It's a very small area. So if you are looking for up and coming companies, I mean, it will add risk to your portfolio. But I guess you know those newer companies are where you're going to get the returns.
0: We're always going to need water. Uh, Frank, uh, let's bring you in here and talk about Europe X UK and uh, having finally left the EU in all shape and form. It really is Europe X UK, uh, and you know Europe's fantastically industri- uh, interesting sort of, you know, whatever you think of the EU as as, as a great collective uh, entity or a bureaucratic nightmare, uh, you've got Europe with some amazing companies that perhaps have a lower profile than uh, flashier names in the States. So what's happening in the sector now?
3: Yeah, so you're right. It's definitely got some great companies. Uh, in terms of the sector, historically, Europe x UK has always been viewed as uh, somewhere that only UK selectors allocated to uh, in order to get away from the home market bias and access European equities um, in a purer form. However, post-Brexit, as you mentioned, referendum 2016, attitudes have definitely changed and flows have, have shifted from the continent to this this asset class. So it's good news actually because excluding the UK has been a real boom for returns. The UK has lagged for that entire period since 2016 relative to all other major markets. UK equity markets really lost its luster, historically outpaced European markets and was more in step with the US, but now it falls well short of European bosses and looks a little antiquated. Very little tech, companies of note, large portion of energy companies, commodities, financials. I know all those sectors have rallied in recent weeks, but these are economies uh, rather sectors that are under a great deal of pressure. And um the good news is that several large uh, and successful players in the Europe ex-UK sector. Uh, it's a very, very strong area of active management. There are so many names in this category uh, that are worthy of your consideration. I'll list a couple I'm actually not going to talk about in great detail, but coming at European Leaders run by Mark Denham. It's an aggressive portfolio. It was on fire until the value rally in European equities. That rally has been more pronounced in Europe than other areas of the world. Aberdeen's Ben Ritchie, Threadneedle's David Dudding, Gam's Nar Gallagher, T Row Price's Dean Tenorelli. That's one to back. If you if you like the periphery, if things are going well for those countries, you can bet he'll be sitting pretty at the top of the peer group. Uh, for those who want a more strict sustainable overlay, then you should look at Lion Trust Sustainable Future Growth, uh, Future European Growth, run by Peter Michaelis. Definitely worth a look. He's been in the sustainable space for a long time. Uh, But the two I'm actually going to look at uh, in more detail are BlackRock's Alistair Hibbert and Allianz's Torsten Winkleman. So kicking off with BlackRock, they are very much the big bad wolf of the sector. I guess when you think about it, they're pretty much the big bad wolf of asset management in general. Um, In this category, they've been the biggest player for all of the last 10 years. And it's one of those rare success stories where they've been huge. And Hibbert and his team have continued to deliver despite their size. Uh, The fund I'm going to focus on is the BlackRock European Dynamic. It's a punchy fund, but does remarkably well even when the the sector is slightly out of favour and having difficulties. And that's evidenced by the fact that it's mid-table over the past three-month value rally from the beginning of November, as opposed to being bottom, where some of the other aggressive funds will be. Um, But when things are going well for the, the sector, he's pretty much always at the top with that fund. The fund's got a big overweight to industrials, uh, about 10% more than the index, 25% of the fund in that. It's big holding here is French aviation player Saffron. That's recovered strongly in the past three months. That's some of the the balance. So that's in the aviation industry. Uh, Biggest holding, though, is ASML, the semiconductor manufacturer. Uh,
0: Everybody loves that. Yeah,
3: everybody. You're about to find out. Yeah. 6% stake in the fund. Uh, Semi's are. Are a huge demand at the moment, massive supply issues, and that's been good for the price of these stocks. Um, looks like, though, they've been taking a bit of profits here, keeping the holding from getting out of control. It's stayed around six percent of the fund as it's climbed up and up and up. So they haven't let it really take over the fund. It's got LVMH. that's another stock doing surprisingly well, you know, over the course of, of the pandemic, despite the sort of luxury goods market suffering. Uh, that's 5.4 percent of the fund. Um, Moving on to Torsten Winkleman, he is probably the best-known European fund manager there is, outside of the UK, that is. So if you are a European equity manager, someone you're very familiar with, he was part of that vanguard of continental Europeans, realising the value of UK after Brexit set up a fund through Allianz, continental Europe. It's uh, a more aggressive player, so has been hit a little. But the general trend with him is his style is returning to form after possibly a period where it was out of favor. Uh, Also has ASML as the largest holding, as you mentioned. But he doubles up on it because you've got to get your tech in Europe where you can. And has Infineon as his second largest position, also semiconductor manufacturer. Elsewhere, a stock doing really well for him is AMBU. It's a Danish healthcare company that specializes in endoscopy. So that's minimally invasive surgeries. Um, done really well in the pandemic, a long standing position in the fund. So it's not a new purchase, up 160% in Euro terms since the start of 2020.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, someone said to me about European tech, it's the companies you've never heard of. Everyone's heard of Apple and Google and Facebook and so on in the States. But companies like ASML. And what was the other one you mentioned, Infineon? Infineon, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the plumbing and uh you know they do incredibly well asml i think there's it's a nearer monopolies you can get without without being broken up by, by the eu uh so it's a great it's a great it's a great stock uh angus you you deal a lot in europe i mean do your European selectors still have faith in the in the continents companies i think they I mean, it's a default position, isn't it?
2: You know, European equities have always been a core holding for the big European fund selectors. And I think that continues to be the case. But we did a piece of research uh, well, probably several years ago now where we looked at the big European equity funds and and we sort of examined the home bias. So, for example, I mean, Frank, you're talking about the Allianz fund there. We found when we when we looked into it that a, a European equity fund run in Germany would have... a much higher proportion of german stocks versus one run in france which would have a higher proportion of french stocks and so on and so forth so i i just wonder whether that's a factor in what you're seeing there
3: home bias is definitely a factor but the nature of the sector in that it's europe ex uk and most of the funds are run from the uk means that that home bias is is removed whereas in pan-european equity sectors Home bias is, is definitely real. Uh, Dean Tenorelli is probably the outsider of the names I mentioned there. Really likes um, the periphery, and uh, and there's 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 a definite bias there. But no, I think this sector you don't get that. You don't get one massively overweight country.
0: Yeah, no, it shouldn't really because there's far less of a currency issue there, isn't there? I mean, if you're in the UK, you can see the case for getting Europe. Your- income in, in in sterling because that's what everyone's bills are but you know this is euros for euros so or generally anyway so it shouldn't really shouldn't really matter brilliant
2: yeah i think it was more an instinctive thing richard where people will always tend to to um,
0: gravitate towards what they know yeah no you'll never get rid of home bias and uh, i think wherever you go
3: I think uh, I think it's probably a function of just how many stocks you've got to choose from and you're connected. 4,000. You're going to lean
2: towards what you know best. Which is what you'd want a manager to be doing, isn't it? <laughs> probably.
0: S- stick to the nissing, which is what we do. Yeah. We don't make market predictions. We just do the analysis. Uh, Frank, thank you very much. Nisha and Angus, thank you as well for another great episode. Thank you to Alan for Recording it and putting it all together, and it'll sound, making it sound as beautiful as it does. And we'll be back again in a fortnight, uh, and we'll see you then. Bye bye.